Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. everybody welcome back to the tnq podcast i'm your host marcus luttrell every week it's my job to fire you up to ignite the legend inside of you and to push you to your greatness join me every week as i take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard charging people on the planet they're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life teach you the values of working your ass off and charge through whatever life throws at you this is the team never quit podcast so buckle up buttercup Hey guys, welcome back to the Team Never Quit podcast. Thank you guys for listening, watching, most importantly, subscribing. Hey, if you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel because we're about to start dropping video content very soon. We've actually got kind of a secret project in the works right now here at TNQ headquarters, and I want you guys to be able to be a part of that. So in order to do that, you need to be following us on YouTube. Last week, I sent out some Patreon gear. So that being said, it's time to jump into the Patreon question of the day. Patreon question of the day comes from Patricia. She asks, which Will Ferrell character do you identify with the most? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good question. I'm a big fan. That's a good one. Yeah, me too. So the other day, actually, Bewitched came on because it's Halloween season. So we were watching, and uh, and this stray cat came walking up. So I had a little bit of Darren going on the other day. Darren. However... Daddy's home to the air conditioning scene <laughs> yeah. is by far you can't appreciate that till you have kids and, and you're married and you're in that life that that each one of those I mean from uh, the other guys I mean who doesn't want a, an accountant for law and order right and that you know he was a pimp and I audited them and there were discrepancies <laughs> and, and there were discrepancies that's who I felt like I would identify what, oh, yeah, as man. Yeah. was <clears throat> I'm gonna go with uh, I think I'm a s- solid cross between. Land of the Lost, Dr. Rick Marshall, and um, Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Piss excellence. <laughs> yeah. I ran across I th- the I think I'm a lot, I'm a lot better and cooler than I actually am. <laughs> no Anchorman? I was going to throw well, a burger thing out there. That's him, dude. That's, that's all him, him dude. Ron, that, that, yeah, you can't. I don't think anybody can, can, can identify I mean, with Ron Burgundy except ball. for Ron Burgundy. I think Ron Burgundy has his own podcast. And I have leather-bound books <laughs> yeah. in my office. Oh, my gosh. And it smells like leather. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeff, how about you? What you got? Uh, you guys are going to relate to this because uh, I'm going to say elf, man. Uh, and, and, yeah. he, and here's why. <laughs> in the deepest suck, we all got a little elf in us, right? Like, oh, it, like you, can't, you cannot survive the suck if you just can't see that glimmer of silver lining. So that guy, that guy takes it over the top as elf. But we admit it, you two. We all got a little elf in us. Otherwise, that's, that's you can't make it. That's a good pool. I'll go with that. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's like in his world, there is no bad, right? It's just it's not bad. There's no bad things, right? And that to watch it from that perspective is absolutely because we know that there is, but we got trained to have a good time in it. 
That's a, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it, it's like we could be buddies. He's just like <laughs> throwing down on that spaghetti ice cream. With <laughs> syrup? Yeah. yeah I, I, that's oh, actually God, pretty yeah. good. <laughs> I was going to stay away from Step Brothers. Oh, yeah. Brennan. <laughs> yeah. Boats and Hoes. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Call me. Oh my gosh! Hey, pe- that's, a great wine mixer, that's, that's, that's a good question. That's a great question. Wine mixer. That's a great question, <laughs> Patricia. Good. Thank you. If you want to ask a question to the guys, to the guests, make sure to join us at Patreon.com/slash/TeamNeverQuit. Hey guys, we've got a great guest in store for you guys today. Jeff is a counterterrorism and counterinsurgency expert with over 25 years in U.S. Army Special Operations. His combat experience includes operations around the globe that includes multiple tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's applying this expertise to counter trafficking in the United States and is the chief operating officer for Guardian Group. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Big man. Welcome from welcome to the other from the other side of the nation, Oregon. That's double tough. Double tough. Yeah. Hey, I just I switched. Uh, I think you know Marcus. I, I I'm the COO of All Things Possible now with Victor. Yes. Boom. You know that? Yeah. Yeah, saw that. So that that's pretty new news. It just happened maybe a month or two months ago. Congrats! But, uh, re- really, really digging it. I mean, you guys know Victor, man. Force of nature. The organization is fantastic. So yeah, I'm having. I'm just having a ball. Are you doing that full time, or are you tool headed? Yep. Nope, full time. Jump, jump, jumped in head first. Oh, good for you. It came and got you, huh? Yeah. I mean, there, there was just, there's just, there's so much potential and so many interesting things happening. I just, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't sit out. So for our listeners out there, tell, we give a little background and flying information on all things possible. So all things possible, uh, we work to, we have a nice little tag that I really like. It's identify, interrupt and restore those affected by trauma. And that means people that are imprisoned, these young men that, uh, usually come from a, a bad background all the way to women and girls that are, be tra- are being trafficked overseas. So I first got rolled in with Victor with some of the work that we did in Iraq and Syria, because I still have these leftover relationships that we build, people that we trust. They, uh, they help us out and can equip us to recover some of these sex slaves that uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS rolled up, as well as uh, moving behind the front lines when they retook Mosul and would spit out all of these women and children they didn't know what to do with. So it's things like that all the way down to just simple counseling and meeting with folks where they are. So it's a it's a huge gamut. Uh, as the COO, it's really exciting for all of those different things. Um, we just had a big a big event. Did you guys see the news about Ohio? The U.S. Marshals just rolled up a bunch of losers and recovered a bunch of missing kids. Oh, nice. And, I can honestly and, uh, say we just don't turn the TV on. Yeah, I'll. So, it, yeah, it, what you got with the counter trafficking side of it, and really looking at these these men that are abusing children, um, we're really trying to expand that. So we had a we had a really nice um, nice win. You know, we don't want to over dramatize what we did. I mean, it was U.S. Marshals putting the heavy lifting, but the, but we figured out a way to collaborate, and they put some trust in us, and and we're really excited. Well, that's the best part about that group and what it's made up of, because we're all, we're the guys who you know that recognition part needs to go to the to those badge wearers. And then you got the guys like us that sit behind it. And it's like the work is the gratification. Yeah, and exactly. Watch, and watch it. I mean, they're all, there has to be that headpiece, and, and they do, they do so much, but now that the guys are rotating out and being able to work together, I mean, it just kind of closes up a loophole or, or a hole in that, that, that makes it so much more dynamic. We have similar stories, you know, we, with that I have with you guys, you know, uh, I was in high school, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, 
I heard about the U.S. Army Rangers, which really were kind of a quiet entity back then in, in 87. And I, uh, I, I joined the military to become an, an Army Ranger. Um, and again, remind me to come back to that story because that, uh, that was not an easy, an easy path. You know, my recruiter said, oh, this is how you do it. You just sign this dotted line. Okay, and sign right here. <laughs> you volunteer for Rangers. You know, remember to remind me to come back to that one. You guys are going to love that story. Um, so I, I did five years with the uh, first Ranger Battalion, um, went to combat with them in Panama, uh, as well as Desert Storm. And, and I tell you, the interesting thing about Panama Just Cause, which we had our 30th anniversary last year, um, it was the it was the first time where I began to see it wasn't just hoopla. They weren't just building us up, you know, like, oh, you guys are a terrific fighting force. Like it was it was a complicated mess. And um we were able to win without getting, getting guys hurt. And I, I was a team leader. I had, I had four guys under me and it was easy leadership. You know what I mean? That's you guys know a team leader. That's awesome. Just follow me and you, you lead and they follow. Uh, I was a squad leader in desert storm. There wasn't a whole lot of excitement there. Um, but again, another level of responsibility. And then I had actually had a break in service. I went to college. I ended up uh, running for Montana state university and going through ROTC there commissioning, coming back in, um, went to second ranger battalion as an officer and then 10th special forces group. And that is when the, uh, Iraq war really kicked off. So I was on the ground in, at 10th group for just weeks. And we started sending guys in and out of Iraq to kind of prep for, for the war that was kicking off that later that spring. So did a bunch of rotations with them and then, uh, put in my packet to go to Delta so that was in 05 and got over there in 05 and, and stayed there until about, two, well, 2015, it was when I retired. Um, can't believe it's, it's almost five years now. And, you know, as an officer there, you do a bunch of different jobs, but primarily that was, that was my, my duty there with, uh, with the unit, went back to Iraq and Afghanistan um, and just continued to move up in different levels of responsibility. But I think those basics that I learned in Panama stood true even as I got higher up. I think we had this conversation last time we spoke when you were over at CAG, cause I did a pump with those guys when I was a junior officer as an augmentee. Yeah. And that's where I met you. That's right. Damn it. Yeah, that's right. So, so <laughs> I, I, uh, in, in OTC, I broke my leg. We were doing, uh, uh combatives jujitsu and I, I broke my leg and I ended up getting recycled to the next OTC class. So I think, I might have had a cast on my leg. I don't remember if I still had it, but uh, yeah, I went down. I, you and I swapped out seats there in the in the some some sort of J three position. Remember? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Hey, so somebody asked me the other day, and I was telling there was a a one sixtieth pilot, and I was like, man, I was trying to remember the sergeant major's name at the time, the big Texas guy that was O'Neill's sergeant major. You remember what was his name? You remember off the top of your probably, head? Probably, probably Joe Burke. Big big guy, redhead. No, he was a no. He was a gigantic, dark-headed guy with, I mean, just full-blown, larger-than-life Texas guy. Oh, oh, no, from the unit. I thought you were talking from one six. No, I'm sorry, the unit, the unit. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Bobby, uh, Bobby. Uh, yeah, he's he's back in Texas. Was Bobby's last name? That's right. That's right. Bobby. Bobby uh, oh, I'm so sorry, Bobby. I can't. I'll, I'll think of his last. I name. I totally kicked it out of my head too, and I thought, swore I'd never forget it. And I kind of looked like an ass friend of this guy. I was like, yeah, man, I started. Mike Obadall's throwing Obadall's name out and some other guys yeah. that were sitting in that line with me. And I was like, damn it, I can't remember Sergeant Major's name. 
anyway. Yeah. It, so, what, you know, here's a story on that. Bobby's son became a young ranger. They went on target together in Baghdad. Huh. So uh, how, <laughs> how, how, many, how many times do you see that happen? Yeah, father, son, no, nope, it's pretty never. cool. Probably never. Yeah. Ever. He's he's ranching down there somewhere by you guys now. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the five-hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. We're telling all retired, those all retired unit guys and team guys to move to Texas when you get out. We're going to start our own place out here. Well, I, I, I need to get down there before you guys secede from the union. Yeah, like, yeah, all, all our guys, and yeah, y'all get out here. Did it start with a B, Bobby, Bobby something. Booming, Bobby Booming. Boomer, yeah. yes. Yeah. How do you forget Bobby that? Bobby Booma, man, he's... I don't know, man. I'd say Booma. That's, what, that's, what, that's what his son calls our mother. Grandma. Oh, my God. Are you man. kidding me? <laughs> no, oh. that's right. <laughs> oh, that's some that's some weird Freudian stuff right there. That's right. right. Bobby Booma. Bobby Booma. Dude, uh, he was a beast. He dude, was Bobby, if, if you listen to this, brother, shout out. I appreciate everything you've done, because he was a he was an OTC instructor when I was going through as dude, well. I've so. never even met this dude in all... There's only a couple guys in our communities like you never hear anything bad about. Like, like somebody always has something... Only a handful of them. Like, we're not... I'm not even one of them guys. And, and but like, that guy, uh, Charlie Melton, you know... Because I was, I was sitting in the jock with my Texas patch on. Like, right? That's, like, not what you're supposed to do when you're in front of the leadership. Yeah. And he came up behind me. When I turned around and saw him, I was like, holy shit. I didn't say it out loud. But I was like, damn, buddy. Sorry, Major. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, awesome dudes. Awesome guys. That was a great deployment. And I guess when I got my, I don't know if we told this out loud, but I got a uh, a uh, a very large fallacy looking object handcuffed to oh, my yeah. wrist. Yeah, yeah, it was like that was y'all's thing, and it got hand, yeah. I got handcuffed, and it didn't have a key. Yeah, yeah. and you had to pick the lock in dick order to get day. it off of you. Oh my god, dick of the day! Yeah, you were you yeah. were awarded the dick of the I, day. I was, well done. I was just I was sitting in my chair, and this came up and just latched onto me. Right, and I was like, oh, I mean, this thing is about as big as this microphone, right? <laughs> and you walk around with it till you pick the lock. No key. You got to pick yeah. the lock oh on the cuff, and I broke the pin, and I had to go over to Delta Breacher Cell. I was like. Can you guys cut this off? Help me out, guys. <laughs> they it just didn't help that, any uh... that you kept sticking it in your mouth. I know. I mean, what else was I supposed to do with it? It would fit my Where ass. Where else do you hide that thing? <laughs> Fucking tuck it up in a cami and rigor tape that thing down? Cut my pocket out and stick it. Stick my hand out of my pocket. I mean, the thing was literally the half size of my heart, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, dick of the day. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, go ahead, buddy. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, that, that was really it. So after, after, um, you know, as I'm moving towards retirement and I, I think a lot of our, our friends are you and, you know, we're kind of just past that now, but, uh, looking what to do next and kind of really what I felt the skills that, uh, were, were taught me and what I love doing, um, started to, to gravitate towards counter sex trafficking, you know, um, studying that crime, studying pimps and traffickers, and uh, retired and started working that full time, um, initially with Guardian Group here in Bend, Oregon, and then just recently made the switch over to All Things Possible. Um, I just I love targeting. Um, I want to create a place for folks like us, you know, from our communities 
that are looking for something to do afterwards, you know, um, that passion and purpose, you have that drive and that, and that meaning when you're in service. And I want to continue to provide that opportunity for people as, as, as we get out. And for our, for our listeners out here, I don't think people really understand the scale of this problem. Yeah. Most people think it's in the big cities and it's not, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And here, here's a, um, here's a statistic that uh, 150,000 new sex ads come out every day, 150,000. And we, we figure that somewhere between five and 10% of those are minors. So that's, that's a new kid that's being sold online every, every single day. The, the numbers are astronomical. And it's really, it's really kind of gross in the United States because it really is a business. You know, it's something you just, you jump online and you make a purchase, like you would buy a pair of sneakers or a, even, a, even a pizza, you know. Um, it's a lot more in the open, you know, where they have these different sectors, uh, the red light districts and all of these things that people know about in Asia. But right here in the U.S., we are unbelievable consumers of prostitution and what comes with prostitution are the miners because they're easy to manipulate and control and the traffickers make a ton of money on them. Give us some insight on how you guys are navigating those waters and how you're assisting or kind of, I don't know if it's by with or through or just facilitating information that, that you're going to hand over to the marshals and how that relationship's working. That's, that's basically it. So it, it morphs a little bit depending on who you're, who you're working with. So the, your comment of buy with and through is a, is a perfect idea, you know, that, that we, and we're used to doing that. We're used to pro- trying to provide that third party, that host nation partner, or even here in the United States, it's our, it's our U S partner with the things that they need. And in a, in a small town, they just don't know the crime. So it might be similar to what you and I are doing right now. We're just talking about the crime. We're talking about the statistics, helping them understand what those indicators look like, even talking to patrol cops, about when they make a routine traffic stop, you know, when they see these different indicators, it should be a, a clue, you know, the light bulb should go on like, hey, maybe I need to dig a little bit deeper because this doesn't quite add up. And then you've got these federal entities like U.S. Marshals or FBI or, or whomever um, that need support more from the analytical point of view. So it depends what they need, where we think we have the greatest value and what we can really scale is this analytical side of it. You know, when you're when you look at the U.S. Marshals, for example, they have lists. I mean, thousands of kids are missing, you know, and then when they when they triage that list and figure out which ones they believe are involved with sex trafficking, you know, to help them find some locational data or to help them try to figure out how to what threads to pull to find these kids or find the men and women that are exploiting them. That takes a lot of time and work that we just we haven't provided them those types of resources. So I think folks coming out of our communities, largely the intel types, those analysts, um, they have the skills to do a bunch of this front end work to help law enforcement a- achieve this probable cause, reasonable suspicion. So, you know, I mean, it, like think of it when you're when we're out, you know, overseas in combat, you don't. You don't just get to go do a mission, right? You have to have a reason. There has to be there has to be probable cause. There has to be a reason why you're going onto this target. Well, law enforcement deals with that every single day. They have to explain to their bosses. They have to explain where their resources are going. They have to explain why they're putting five, eight, 10, 20 people on this particular target set. And that's largely what 
we civilians, retired military, are able to do is just help them build that case that, hey, boss, in the long run, this is going to pay off. And hundreds of kids are going to be given a chance for freedom. You know, we we want to give them that little bit of information that then they roll into the regular law enforcement system. They get the warrants, they get the subpoenas. And once they get those, they're off and running. Because, dude, these, these pimps and traffickers are so brazen, they don't even hide what they do. Like, you get one of their phones, you get one of their computers, it's completely in the open. It's just helping law enforcement get to that start point. You guys on the ground a bunch doing what you used to do in CAG, or is it just more along of what you see? All, all by, by, through, and with, you know? Okay. Um, all right. You know, it's they just they don't need the help on the ground. You know what I mean? Like, they really need that that analytical work. Once, once they, once they know where the bad guy is, or they have permission to grab them, or they have an idea where that kid is, they're they're off and running. So we we do very little to no actual groundwork. And in the U.S., it gets really it gets really tricky too. You know right, what I mean? Sure, when yeah. you're working overseas, it's totally different. We're, you know, you can do groundwork overseas. You can you can run surveillance on people. You can use TTL. You can you know you can do all sorts of stuff overseas. But in the U.S., um, the structure that we have designed and it should be is law enforcement is able to do this a citizen is, is is able to do that and um putting them together is what i think the future of law enforcement looks like you know all of this you know i don't i, I think there are some people that really believe we should defund the police and disband the police i think i don't think there are many i think some more reasonable people think we should reallocate funds and figure out ways to do this better um, and I think that's what the future is. There's plenty of people from our community that have the ability and the skills to just augment what, what law enforcement is lacking. Um, and that can be training and that can be analytical work, but both of those are really satisfying to, to help those, those guys out with. That's a great point. You, if you think about it, 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 for everything that law enforcement is responsible for, if they had that, that logistical analytical piece sitting behind them, like we had, to provide us all the information we needed and then have them be the action arm of the research piece. That'd be, that's a great point. Well, you know what else I didn't realize was, you know, we, we had training, right? Like about a quarter of our year was training. It wasn't combat. It wasn't other, other types of stuff. It was, it was dedicated to training and we held that pretty sacred, right? That's how you became the team. That be how you became the seal. That's how you became the seal team. That's how you became this a, a unit that was able to fight, man, law enforcement doesn't have a training cycle. Mm-mm. I could, you know, they, they don't take a few months out of the year and just become better at individual and collective tasks. We haven't afforded that to them. So they have to stick training in wherever they can, you know? So that's, again, when I talk about training to be able to provide them different training on skills that, that we've honed that they can apply. And like you've already commented on that analytical side of it, um, I mean, no one's done it better than the JSOC community. Right. I mean, t- yeah. I mean they, people look at us all the time, the operators, the guy, the, 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 the door knockers. But man, those analysts that were just crushing it 24 hours a day for 10, 15 years straight, those are, those are some unsung heroes. Right man, there. They were having a ball. Man, they go out and collect, <laughs> collecting all that stuff. And I mean, yeah, typing it up. Hell, we had to do most of the typing. You know what I mean? <laughs> they had a blast. I mean, that that is the sexy part of that job. And, and I always kind of look at it like there's no way that we could have been as extreme as we are as if everybody in our generation wasn't the same way. You know what I mean? They That one thing feeds the other. 
So because they were so high speed on, on gathering all that intel, that enabled us to go do what we did on target. And it just kind of fed itself. I, t- I teach at the Law Enforcement Management Institute at the University of the Street. And that's, that's one good point I've never brought up to them because we, we talk about challenges. And most of the ones that most of the, the, the case studies and the talking points that I have is that you're just you, you're on deployment every single day you walk out of your house. And how challenging you never get, you never have any downtime. Like you never go to get low ready. You're always, second you walk out and put the uniform on. And I'm going to bring that up. That's a great point on what a better asset you all would be if you had a logistical arm behind you providing you information that you need, just like we got. How much easier it made that for us. And I mean, we even debrief at the end of the day. After everything yeah. we do, we debrief after every every kind of every time we do a run. I mean, when they come out of the academy, they go into the field. That's like being in the academy every day. It's just field work. Yeah, right. And I know they take notes, everything like that. But the there's training inside that action itself. When we separate that in the beginning, so you can see both sides of it, and then when we put it together, that's why we're so fluid. They don't have that well, ability, I guess. I didn't know that. I was unaware that 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 was the case. I think of. Think of the lessons learned, you know, that we all shared. I mean, think, look at how we would transfer that stuff between the SEALs and the Rangers and Delta it, and Special yes, Forces. Like, we, yes. like if, if one of your guy, your guys got hit on target, man, we wanted to know what happened. You know, if you, if you had some new ballistic capability or some new, you know, mechanical breaching, whatever, you know, and that's, and that's one of the things, but as with COVID, um, and you know, the, the, the black lives matter movement has, again, they're their focus on defunding the police. But even if you just, dis- if you discard that just with COVID alone, police, uh, communities, um, sheriffs and law enforcement all across the country, they're, they're losing money, man. I mean, cities are going bankrupt. And the number one thing that I've been seeing that's getting cut are these sex crimes units because, because it's allocating dollars that doesn't necessarily pay off. So in major cities all across the United States, these sex crimes crimes units are being slashed and reallocated, redirected to different crime sets. So what else is being lost is the best practices. So these these units that were just crushing pedophiles, how did they do it? And that's what I'm working at right now is trying to capture the best practices of how, how did this work in Boston? How did this work in Miami? How did this work in L.A.? How can we apply this to small town America you know, and, and trying to build a group of guys, almost like a, a mobile uh, training team again, because this resident knowledge of that these law enforcement folks have figured out, it's it's being lost. And again, just like us in the military, man, now that I've been here five years, I don't think there's a single cop that I've worked with, either federal or local, that's in the same position that he was five years ago. They move oh, yeah. so often. They just don't capture the best practices, which make me you have to learn all of these lessons the hard way. Yeah, which is a shame. And it's not like they they deny that. They'll openly tell you, like, yeah, we don't do that. And when, yeah. you, when you ask them why, like, well, we just don't. We just don't. They just don't do it. Hey, I get that, well, man. There's stuff we don't do. I understand that. I mean. But it's the, it's the, it's what we expect of them. I mean, what, what you and I are talking about right now is, is, is really swimming against the stream, you know, like the, the defund the police. Actually, we, we need, 25 to 30% more police on the forces simply so they can have training cycles and they can build analytical arms. You know, like it's, it's just what we're talking about flies in the face of what the current sentiment is. I I just don't know if we're going to get there. 
Strange times in 2020, my friend. What can people in the community do? I mean, is there things that people in the community can do to support the efforts you guys have or just enforce the uh, support the, I guess, law enforcement agencies that don't have funding or losing funding in these specific areas? Yeah, so the the money is going to go where the people demand it. You know, so when, you know, a, a, a district attorney, that's an elected official. A sheriff is, a, is an elected official. Your city councils are elected officials. So if, if you demand that attention is being paid to trafficking, to the, to the abuse of children, your community will will respond. But that that demand signal has to be loud and clear. Um, yeah. And honestly, the, the, the easy start point is just stop bashing cops, man. Like people, you know, there are too many reasonable people that are, are on this bandwagon of bashing cops. It's not it's not fair. It's not common sense. Stop bashing cops, reinvest in their training, reinvest in what it is we expect them to do. And if you want your community to start to tackle sex trafficking and the abuse that's happening wholesale with minors, then say it. You know, I don't have you seen anyone march lately about the United States? Has has that ever happened? You know, it, it, it people will listen when your community demands it. Do you have any statistics about how, I know this is a kind of a loaded question, but how sex trafficking specifically with minors is affecting the general population? Because I think a lot of times like the regular people are like, I'm not going to spend time thinking about that. I'm really worried about my car getting broken into my house, getting broken into getting assaulted. And so they don't think about how that is actually affecting them. Are there some statistics that shine some light on that? Here's a statistic. And again, when we, I, the, the problem is just talking about this tiny sliver of sex trafficking. Sure. The the ability to exploit a young woman is based on a lot of different things. And a lot of times that's based on some some other pattern of abuse, you know. And when, when I first heard many years ago that one in four women is sexually assaulted, I that 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 statistic angered me because I thought, how can that be? One in four people don't have brown eyes. You know what I mean? Like that. You can't exaggerate statistics because it waters down the, the true reality of it. But I'll tell you what, that's a true statistic. One in four women is sexually assaulted or sexually abused. That's insane. And we talk about sex trafficking. Well, you, you we, we're already starting downstream. That woman became vulnerable. That woman became a, a target because she already had a brokenness with, within her because she was abused by a young man. So I, I think in, in addition to just looking at the commercial sex trafficking in the United States and that, and that level of abuse, we really have to relook on how we treat women and, and how we respect women and how we talk about women and how we sing about women. You know, And again, I'm not, I'm not some angel, right? I, we come from a community where it was, we were rude and crude and all of that. But again, I also like to think we were honorable men and we are honorable men and, and we stick up for women and girls. And we just don't see enough of that today. I think to your point, Andrew, and what if you, like Jeff said, there's a catalyst for everything, but if you're going to look downstream, it's not, what will a, a pool of, of abused women where does that land? Where does that end up? And that's if the if the if there's an increase, a statistical increase in these sorts of crimes, 
downstream you have an influx of depression, suicide, you know, um, maybe even addiction to drugs. Uh, and yeah, like drugs that. and alcohol, and then maybe even those particular um, victims start to victimize others, and so it, it, the, the spider web grows. It's like a cancer. So it's a it's a really good analogy where okay when we're overseas right we weren't combating radical islamic ideology we were capturing and killing the 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 dudes that were employing it right that's all that's all we were doing so the the reason these wars continue and the reason we haven't had the success and the wholesale counter narrative to talk to the islamic community that counters this radicalism that they're so attracted to. And again, you're talking upstream. You know, how how does a young man become a radical Islamist fighter? Well, because he's disenfranchised, or oftentimes there's trauma and abuse and all these all these different things that that occur upstream. You and I in the military, we were just we we were the pointy end of the spear. You know, if we got your name, you were you were leaving the planet. You know, but that doesn't that doesn't solve the problem. And that's the same thing when it comes to what we do with ATP. There is the part of it where we're helping law enforcement take these guys off the planet, not not killing them, but putting them behind bars. That that has to be done. These pimps and traffickers have to be put away for longer than they are right now. Statistically, less than one percent of them are ever prosecuted. So, um, I mean, think of that. Less than one percent. Less than one percent. So, if that's when we talk about you know how bad this crime is. There's so much room for improvement. If you can go to one to two to four to eight percent of these guys behind bars, they're going to start to make some different business choices, just like we saw. Right. When we were in Iraq and you started capturing and killing guys by the hundreds and thousands. Guess what? That young man started to make a different choice. Right. So there's one end of it, which is the downstream end, which we've we, we've got to bring justice to these predators. And then there's the upstream side of it. Uh, reaching these young men and these young women in these formative years. And that's why I'm so excited about ATP. ATP works both sides of that from, you know, interrupting this cycle by taking these bad dudes off the street and helping law enforcement put them behind bars all the way to identifying it and, and, and interrupting it from this cycle of abuse and violence. So you, you nailed it, Marcus. And I, and I think that's what people, people don't want to hear, you know, treat your wife better, Treat your girlfriend better. Treat your daughter better. Have more respect. You know, stand up when when the when the locker talk is 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 some kind of BS about girls. You know, turn off that stupid music that's completely degrading to women. You know, stop looking at pornography, which it warps your mind and, and makes you think of things in a different manner. That's those are the solutions that every single American can do. They always want to go to, hey, can I? Uh, you know, break down a door and shoot a pimp in the face. Yeah. Okay, bro. Like what, what is, what is that going to get done when you're going back home and continuing to, you know, propagate this in your own little way? Yeah. Start with the ones around you. Start with yourself, right? Just be, yeah. just be a good person. You guys had a, you get, you were, you mentioned earlier, you guys had a big win recently. Yep. It was, it, it's been going on for a couple of weeks. They just released it yesterday. So I think that I think they were calling it Underground Autumn Hope or or uh, Operation Autumn Hope or something like that, dude. It's all it's all over the news. Um, and again, I'm not trying to oversell what ATP participated in it, but what I'm excited about is that there are certain people in the community 
that see this collaboration we're talking about as as a way forward. You know, so building trust with law enforcement, you know, having these quick wins, these small wins, and then and then taking something where we can scale it out is is really exciting. So we'll we'll see where it leads to. That's good. Hey, quick, uh, do you guys so on your recruiting team by chance? Do you have individuals on the team or or an asset or a source, if you will, that has was on the receiving end that can help you guys navigate what maybe what you're not seeing? Like we did overseas, we had sources and we had assets that helped us see what we didn't see. I was just curious how that infrastructure yeah. is being built out. So again, that's something that we have overseas more than we do in the U.S. The U.S. is it's almost all te- all technical stuff on on open source um, intelligence with it because the again the crime is so open on the internet. I mean, brother, you you go to some of these Facebook pages or Instagram or 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 even you know and any of the social media sites, the the guys call himself a pimp. He's advertising the five, six girls that he's one. Like it's, it's not hard to see. It just, you just need the time to, to go look at it and find it. So yeah, the, the actual groundwork, um, we don't do any of that right now in the U S that that's all overseas. Okay. Yeah. That's that's where the fun is. (laughs) Yeah. But we're getting old, man. You know what I mean? Oh my God, man! We turned forty-five here pretty <sighs> quick. I've had two hips. I've had two hip procedures in the past month and a half. <laughs> I sound like an old busted car driving down the road oh, when man. I get up in the morning. Like, I get up in the morning. The other day I rolled over, looked at Melody. I'm like, you know, when I was young, I didn't make all these noises when I get up. And- <laughs> You know, I, like uh, that old sergeant major and mass chief when they, when we start going on those <laughs> runs, you know, they they'd be hooting and hollering and crazy. Once they got up on step, it's like a hot rod, right? Once you get it fired yeah. up and get the, all of us, so we're not getting old and busted. Everything's just tightening up. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> in you know, in what, place. What, what's funny is I I went I I I had COVID a couple months ago. You know what I mean? So Congratulations! I had it. Did, it was did, awesome. Did you, and it, and again. It's like I don't know what your symptoms were, but I didn't even know I had it. I just felt my age. I, you know what I mean. Yeah. I felt run down and broken, and it was like I, I, I mean. So those of you that have COVID, that's how you feel when you're 50. So you know you, you recover from COVID, and then that becomes your life when you're 50. So that's a good point. That's about how I felt. Bro, we got tired. put on lockdown last March out here. They were talking about the symptoms of COVID. I was like, literally, that's the same symptoms I get from the allergies out here, and I have those. Nine months out of the year, yeah. You know what I, I mean? Know. It's it's nuts. I, I don't care what what rolls in the door. I mean, if it's a bacteria or a freaking human being, man, everything senses fear, right? If you're afraid, yeah. if you think that thing's going to jump on you because it wants to fight and it senses your fear, it'll just keep attacking you. But if you're ready for it and you're, I mean, you carry that around. Think about it. Like that's how we we. I mean, look at all the stuff that we've go, all the anthrax and everything in between where they put us and everything, man. But our attitude was like, man, well, I came here. I didn't come here to get beat. I came here to beat down. I came here to, to destroy kind of deal. And that mentality, it, it, man, it carries you a long way. Dude, I, you know, it's one of those phenomenon that I, that I don't understand. I agree with you completely. And this goes back to how we started the discussion with Elf, right? Like anxiety and stress and fear it's such a it's such a cancer. It seems like things just latch onto it. You know what I mean? Like just like in combat, like, you know, when you when you have that little elf, like like I'm enjoying this. This is going to be okay. Yeah. You know, like it, like all, when when things get piled on top of you, I I think it's a it's an incredible phenomenon that I don't think people fully understand. 
is how fear, anxiety, and stress just makes it all worse. How about the? Uh, how about you over there, Doctor? You got some. You you got, you got some knowledge on this one. You know he's brewing something up over <laughs> yeah. there. Freaking head of his. The other the other side of this mind. I absolutely, you, I, you know I, I absolutely, one hundred ten percent believe there's a mental aspect to getting through anything, and that once once you stop believing in yourself, that primary and secondary brain in your body starts to shut down and not give the body what it needs to fight. Yeah. On the other hand, that mean I, we actually just recently lost a friend of ours. Not from COVID actual, but pre-existing condition. And that was an eye-opening experience because up until then, we've had quite a few friends that have had COVID. And like you and I, because you never had, you haven't had it yet, have you? Uh, like you and I, did, a good, good analogy, feel my age. I was just, I was really tired. And I was, we were out on a run one day with some buddies. I mean, I just couldn't, I mean, I, they just left me. And I was like, man, what the hell is going on? And then my forearm started hurting. I was like, that never happened. So I tested it positive. But, um, when this gentleman, who's a Vietnam vet, God rest his soul, um, Roark, Roe was his name, but it's Scott, Scott's daddy. Never, he, uh, he got blown up in Vietnam by a grenade and then um, was a rancher for the rest of his life. Hadn't been to the hospital since he got out of the hospital after that injury. And then COVID hit. COVID actually hit the whole family, sent every one of them to the hospital. And man, he could not. He got down in his lungs. And you got to think, man, is it your time? Is it your time? And how, no matter how hard you fight, I mean, go out swinging, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's are you going to pick? You, you want to pick how you go out? I don't think it works like that. My, swim, a, buddy, my so swim buddy from Boston died had a, two days had a, ago. He had a do, do not resuscitate. Um, yeah, man, don't bring me clause. back. I want to come back in that new frame. <laughs> And uh, he actually said, he's like, nah, he's like, I don't, this, I wouldn't, do not resuscitate means if I got, you know, got bucked off a bull or something, I don't want this COVID stuff. I mean, it just ate his lungs up from the inside out. Yeah. And, and again, you, you, uh, you were alluding to it. There, there's that spiritual side of it too, you know, and it, it, it's what we don't understand, you know, and I, and I, and I think there's this, I think there's this relationship we have with our, with our creator also, where he's like, okay, if you want to stay, you can stay. You know what I mean? If you're ready to come home, you know, I think sometimes he gives us that little bit of a choice. And I'm not, you know, you got, you got, I'm not saying your buddy chose to, to go, but there's just all these things we don't understand, you know, and, and, uh, and, and we waste too much time sweating the small stuff, you know? Yeah. Don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. That's one of the best <laughs> freaking pieces of advice I ever gotten. I'm like, man, how long you been sitting on that one? That was great. <laughs> yes. There's absolutely that. And with anything so, that 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 fear in the beginning is the fuel for your willpower. I mean, that kind of if you if you're looking yeah. at something and give you the heebie-jeebies, and then I'll talk to people and they're like, "Well, I've been training in this forever. I mean, we've been going at this a while, and I still get the fear." And I'm like, "Man, that's not what that is. That's anxiousness. You know, those two things run on the same glass. Like, man, you just kind of that's why when the first punch is thrown or the first you know the line comes out, whatever it is, man, you're you're in it. And then once you're locked in. It's, it's a uh, man, it's freeing. It's like, wow. It's like getting up yeah. on a step and just pushing. It's, it's something it's supposed to so, be there. Speaking of sweaty men, let me circle back to my story. Oh yeah. About, yes. yeah. How to, about, about how to become, yeah. how to become a young ranger. Okay. So like I said, I, I, uh, I signed the dotted line. 
my recruiter tells me just volunteer for airborne school, volunteer. Again, you guys know how difficult that is. But so far, so good. I get to airborne school. First day there, you go into this classroom, a ranger shows up. And that was back when they wore the OG 107s, right? The rest of us were in the BDUs. So like that was a sharp, sharp uniform. Spitshine jungles and and the and the pressed OG 107s in that black beret. Come on, man. Dude, what's up? That. What's up, man? Exactly. That was, what's, dude, up? what's up, man? That was sharp. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you see them you know, jokers they, walk in like yeah exactly you know so that, that's what i want to be and you know so the, the guy comes in he gives you a quick brief you, you write you fill out this piece of paper put your name on again this is 1987 88 something like that yeah, man their uniforms um, look like they would jack you up oh you yeah know what I'm <laughs> dude, they come in with so much yeah. style and the way they start like man i think that uniform fucked me up dude look at that thing man what's that yeah it's, it's awesome i'm sorry so i'm man. i'm I'm jumping to something else, but you know, the, the, when the, when the Rangers switched from the OG 107s to the BDUs, we called the BDU the battalion departure uniform because <laughs> when you were getting kicked out of battalion, they took your OG 107s away and you had to wear BDUs like the rest of the army. So that was a, that was a mark of shame. Yeah. It was the battalion departure uniform. So when we switched from the OG 107s to the BDUs, oh my God, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, so, and that, and then you so, went to the. Uh, I remember when the Bray thing went down. Yeah, the Tam Brays. I remember when that was going down. I was at Bragg when that. Was I remember going down. like, man, that sucks, dude. Why don't you take that away from y'all? <laughs> I don't know. But, right, but yeah, go. so so I signed this dotted line. Go through Airborne School. Uh, graduate from Airborne School. This uh, Ranger shows up and he he says, "All of you who signed up to be a Ranger, fall in over here." So we get in formation, and he reads through the list of names. He doesn't read my name. I'm like, oh crap! I'm like a, I'm like a mosquito wing private. You know what I mean? I, I, I think, I think I was an E1 or E2 if I had anything on my uniform at all. I run up to him. I'm like, Sergeant, uh, I'm supposed to be going to rip with y'all. Uh, you didn't call my name. He asked me my name. He looks at the list. He says, "You're not on here. Get out of my face." <laughs> so I turn around. I run over to uh, my uh, my airborne squad leader and ask him some questions. Anyways, the people that I talk to end up telling me to go to the patches building at down down by the uh down by the jump towers you, you guys have oh, you yeah. guys been to ben? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah we all yeah we have to go jump school, school out there i know yeah, what you're yeah. talking about yeah, yeah. You, you know that building yeah with the patches yeah, also? Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so they go they say go go down to the patches building and ask for so-and-so i'm gonna call him uh mr Sweetbottom. uh they say go out uh, ask you find mr Sweetbottom. he's the one that does all these orders so i i drive down there with my uh you're remembering this from when we talked about <laughs> yes. I know. Go so ahead, though. My, I love my, my my wife was thirty one years now. She was my <laughs> girlfriend back then. So we we drive down to this patches building, which you guys know where it is. And I and I walk in, and there's one dude way in the back. And I said, "Hey, I'm looking for Mr. Sweetbottom." And he's like, "I'm Mr. Sweetbottom." I'm like, "Oh my goodness, what is this?" You know that 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 Southern brawl accent that is just a little bit too uh, grating. So I'm like, "Oh great." It's like I'm I'm supposed to be going to rip, and it, it seems like my you know that like the orders haven't followed up. And he says, "Ooh, so you think you got what it takes to be a ranger?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man. Like that's the whole point of rip, isn't it?" So he's like, "Come, come with me." So I walk back to his desk, and it's that old army furniture. You know, what I mean, those metal those metal desks, those metal yeah, uh, the green seat with, on yeah. wheels, that that metal fan <laughs> from World War II. You know, they scream every high. time you open them. Yeah. Exactly. Makes that noise when it turns. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Like, like, yes. And he he is the only guy in there, and it's hot as crap. It's the it's the Georgia summer, you know. So he says, "Hmm, you look pretty strong. You think you got what it takes to be a ranger?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man." He's like, "I'll tell you what. If you can beat me in an arm wrestle, I'll cut you orders to go be a ranger." Like, are you serious? So he clears his desk away, okay. And we're 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 now lined up and we arm wrestle. Bam. And he is this soft, fleshy, you know what I mean? Like just pale. <laughs> Mr. Burns guy, looking. You know? Yeah, Mr. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like Mr. Burns <laughs> looking, except a little except a little chunkier. That's pretty good. So all right, I beat him. He's like, oh, two out of three, beat him again. He's like, Oh, you are pretty strong. You might have what it takes to be a ranger. He says, do you wrestle? And I was like, I wrestled in, in high school. What, what do you mean? He's like, I'll tell you what, if you can pin me, I'll cut you orders to go be a ranger. And I'm looking around like somebody saved me. What is going on? So I'm like, all right. So now we're moving furniture <laughs> in this, in this office. And he says to me, you want the top or the bottom, like straight up wrestling, you know, on, on all fours, you know, how you yeah. get the, the, the start position. I'm like, uh, top, I guess. So we get down and we wrestle and I pin him and he's like, Oh, that's pretty good. Two out of three. So we start again, this time I'm, I'm rolling him over to pin him. And finally my gaydar goes off. Okay. Like he, he's rubbing on my leg. <laughs> no, he's, he's trying to free himself from the half Nelson. I'm rolling him over and he, uh, uh, he's making noises like that. And I'm finally, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I think, I think I'm being sexually assaulted. What the what the heck is happening? So I stand I'm up. I'm sexually assaulting I, myself I, with another man. <laughs> with another man, exactly. I'm like, what is your problem? And he stands up and he sits down in a chair and he says, I bet you wouldn't hit me. And I was like, the hell I won't. And I reach over the desk and I punch him straight in the mouth and he flips back in his chair. And I remember it because I split his I split his lip and was bleeding. <laughs> and he's laying there on the floor looking up at me and I'm over him like this. And he's like, Ooh, you might just be a ranger. Go along now. Your orders will follow. And I'm like, they better. And I leave. Okay. So I walk out of this place. I'm drenched in sweat. Cause this, this went on for like 20 minutes, man. You know, my wife is in the car waiting for me. She says, what happened? What just went on? And I said, I don't even want to talk. You'll never, I'll never speak of this ever again. So the story's not over there. Okay. So now I'm telling this story. This happened in in 1988. Now I'm in the captain's career course in, in like 99 or something like that. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I'm, I'm now an officer and I'm telling this story to a bunch of buddies and everybody's calling BS. They're like, this didn't happen. I'm like, look, you don't, you can believe my story or not, you know? So I'm standing there in building four. Do you know what that is at Fort Benning? Building four was that big building where they did all the doctrine and the, and the schools. I don't know if you've ever been in it for any reason, but so. it's where the officer's courses are. It's all the classroom stuff. Okay. I definitely try to stay away from that building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm standing there telling the story to about five, six guys. And he walks by Mr. Sweetbottom and my jaw drops. I'm like, that's him. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that guy? Oh, yeah. He's gay as a $3 bill. He molests dudes all the time. I'm like, what? So I'm I'm having this, I'm having this conflict of emotion on one, like, 
how do we let this happen to, oh, I'm not alone. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and he is now in charge of officer records for, um, for Fort Benning, people leaving Fort Benning. And this guy would come to combatives, jujitsu practice. It was when we were just starting to get those online. And this guy would show up with his little light, uh, you know, the, the gray sweatpants, right, from like the 70s? The gray sweatpants, a white T-shirt, and no underpants on. And he would do jujitsu with us. We're in <laughs> fatigues, you know what I mean? And I'm just watching him rub himself on all these guys. And I'm standing there, like with the cadre going, does, does anyone else see this? Is that, <laughs> anyone, is anyone else not bothered by this old man rubbing himself on all of us? So fast forward now. Uh, my orders are getting screwed up. I'm supposed to go. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Fort Lewis to have one of our sons. I'm in a hurry, and my orders are screwed up. And and Mr. Sweetbottom is in charge of those orders. And I keep meeting with him, and I keep. And I'm not saying anything. I don't know if he recognizes me. You know what I mean? I'm just. I'm just. I'm a. I'm a lieutenant now, or captain, whatever the heck I was. And it just keeps getting screwed up. So I go in his office one day, and I just. I have to leave. And I said. I closed the door. I said, Mr. Sweetbottom, do you, do you remember me? And he's like, ooh, I remember you, Ranger. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh. I said, we've been farting around with my orders for months now. I'm going to come back at lunch, and you better have my orders on the desk, or I'm going to come back in here, and I'm going to kick your ass again. Do, do you have any questions about that whatsoever? And he was like, it's okay, Ranger. You come back. Your orders will be on the desk. You know. <laughs> so I left. I'm explaining to my wife. She's like, "You can't do this." You know, I mean, you're a you're a captain now. You can't go in and 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 uh, um, threaten a, 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 a civilian. You know what I mean? I was like, "I know, but it's it's our last chance." Um, so anyway, Man, this I guy got history. Them. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I became a ranger. So th- those of you young men out there that are interested. Coming a ranger. How bad do you want? How bad you do you want it? And apparently, this dude turns out badass rangers. So if you get the green light from him, you're in good shape. Maybe yeah, it's a good litmus yeah. test. I man. mean, come on. Yeah. If he if you got to wrestle, he tells you you're going to make it. You go all the way to CAG. Oh, sweat the small stuff, damn it. And, and I, I can guarantee guarantee you, there's people that are listening that know exactly who I'm talking about. Oh His man, of course, Mr. Sweetbottom. We're going to get that guy there's, on here there's next. There's plenty out there that have rubbed up on this gentleman in more ways than one. Tell how many Rangers have you produced, sir? <laughs> Must yeah. have left quite the impression. I hope he doesn't come out with a memoir. Dude, I mean, the funniest <laughs> stories come out of our communities. Again, it's it's literally created an environment to produce those kind of great stories. I mean, just all across the board, from every branch. I mean, every day. I wonder how many commanding generals, I guess, yeah, since he's been there since 88, how many commanding generals know Mr. Sweetbottom? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know Sweetbottom. <laughs> Don't talk about sweet bottom. Don't. <laughs> we don't talk about. We don't ever talk about sweet bottom. Just let it. Oh let it go. That's kind of like our let community. Our community with the phantom. Everybody that when you say that word, everyone knows who that is. Yeah, we have the phantom. phantom. We think it, it's. We're pretty certain it's a dude as well. The phantom. The phantom. phantom. She or he, whatever, calls every team, every platoon has the number for every team. Every platoon space knows everybody's buds class number. Knows all the commanding. Knows everything everything and will call you at four two o'clock in the morning on the quarter deck and talk dirty to you until i you mean hang the up. best phone sex voice you've ever heard in your entire life and let me tell you so this happened so i was on the quarter deck as a brand new 
semen. I guess I should probably say it like that. Yeah, yeah. As a brand new student, <laughs> and um, they, she called. I was at the Dell Hotel, Hotel Del Coronado, twenty years later, and somehow, some way, she found out I was in town and called the room. Twenty years later, I mean, when I heard that voice at two o'clock in the morning, I sat up in bed. My wife, she's like, "Who is that?" I was like, "You ain't gonna believe it if I tell you." <laughs> no idea and how. I, no idea how that she found that out, but she's resourceful. I mean, Dude, bro, it's there all, was, every there community was, has them. There was one of those. I can't remember the name, um, and she, we believe it was a, a Key West scuba school. It was the same thing where. It was the same. They knew everyone that was going through scuba school. And that person had been around for like 20 years. It's amazing. And, and it's the exact same story. I can't remember what we called her, but it was one of those things. And, and, and a dude, there would always be one victim, one book, yeah. one victim. This was like, I'm going to go, always, I'm going to go meet her. Always <laughs> drunk, you know, he was always drunk and he couldn't, he couldn't verify yes. if it was a male. Or a male. Same, same thing. You can either confirm. Same thing. Same thing. Same exact. It's same unbelievable. <laughs> what you guys don't know is this is a whole organization that it has to be a bunch of elite sorority or something. <laughs> I said, you can't make it through the program without having to deal with that. <laughs> It's, it's part of. I mean, knows where you're from, knows your name, knows your. I and no mean, matter what you say, no matter how bad you cuss or whatever, they'll come back just like, oh, that, your voice is amazing. You know, that kind of just do it, say it some more. <laughs> yeah. Jesus yeah, Christ, me some more. Like, what is going on here? Oh my God, <laughs> small world. That's awesome, Jeff. Since this is the Team Never Quit podcast, can you leave can you leave the listeners with a piece of Never Quit advice? Yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you guys. I'm, I'm on this kick. I've shared it three or four times because it, it absolutely blew, it, it blew me away. Okay. Um, and this, and this piece of advice is, is find strength, uh, in, in simply being alive, find strength in the fact that you are continuing to breathe. So I, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm an armchair kind of, um, uh, Bible study guy, you know what I mean? We lived in Israel and it's just, it, it fascinates me, the history of the Bible and the stories in the Bible. And, and I've been studying it and, and, and I've been working on a, on, a, on a book about all these different stories. And um, last year, I think it was about last year, I came across this idea. Um, and I, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but a, a bunch of different people have talked about it. So have you guys heard the term Yahweh? God, have you heard? Have you yep. heard that? Yeah, term? of course. You know, and and we we hear about it. He calls himself Yahweh in the garden. Um, he calls himself Yahweh when when he calls Moses to to rescue the Israelites from Egypt, and and Moses is like, well, who should I say sent you? And he he says, tell them, you know, Yahweh sent you. So we've been reading this name Yahweh for years, right? Well, it's it's un pronounceable because there's no there's no vowels in it like it, roughly it's y-h-w-h you know what i mean in in uh, in hebrew so people don't really know exactly how how you pronounce it we've been calling it yahweh well what what some people have said and, and i i'm telling you when i tell you the story it, it, it tell me if it doesn't resonate for you so what what the term yahweh is is the sound of breathing so if you inhale and then exhale. That's Yahweh. So when God tells Moses, tell them Yahweh sent you, 
He's basically saying, tell them that the creator of all things, the breath of life has, has sent you. And when I first heard that, it blew me. I, I get, I don't know about you guys. I get goosebumps just thinking about it because when I first heard that, I thought, that makes so many things make sense to me. This idea of what you what comes off of your tongue, what it is you speak is 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 what you become. You know what I mean? Where let my name always be on your lips. So the mere fact that we as humans are breathing, we're saying the name of God, we're saying the name of our creator every single time we breathe. When an animal breathes, he's saying the name of the creator. The, the plants and the trees exist to take what we exhale and clean it and give it back to us. You know, so this idea that what is God's name? God's name is the thing that gives breath to everything that lives. Is that uh, outrageous? So it blew my mind. And I shared this last year. Um, at a at a at a at a at a gathering where they were, it was about uh, PTSD and and um, you know all these soldiers that were that were losing, and even like this, I, I tell the story, and again, I don't know who it's going to resonate with. Um, there are plenty of pastors and and theologians that may take umbrage with it, and and that's fine. What I can tell you is it inspires me, and I told the story at this at this group with this group of people, and these parents came up to me afterwards, and they said, you know. We've had a really hard time with closure with our son. They lost their son on the battlefield and they knew the story. They knew what happened. Um, they knew he didn't suffer long, but they, they just didn't have this sense of closure. And when I was able to share this idea that when we inhale and exhale, we are saying the name of God. That was such a relief to them. It was such a relief to them to realize that the last thing their son ever said, his last dying breath was the name of our creator that brought them some closure to their son's death. And that, that happened last year. So when I get the opportunity to tell this story, I, I like to share it because again, when you think about it, the first thing a baby says when they're born is that breath of life and our God creator and all those mates that we've lost, no matter how it happened, the last thing they ever said was, was the name of their creator. So um, my, my word to the never quit audience is, is find strength, find solace, find peace in that simple act of breathing. If you are breathing, you're alive. If you're breathing, you're saying God's name and he's there to help you get through the tough spots. Amen. Damn, brother. Thanks for sharing that. That was awesome. Yeah. I've never heard that. Like some something like, uh, you know. <laughs> now I got, now I'm listening, now I'm listening to myself. I'm listening to myself breathe into the Me microphone. <laughs> Jeff, it's man, crazy, th- isn't it? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story with us. And thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to the episode. Jeff, thank you so much for being on. How, how can people follow you, support what you guys have got going on? Oh, dude, all things possible ministries, victormarks.com. Check it out. You know, v- Victor is larger than life, a good, good friend of all of ours. I hope to get down there to Texas to see you guys. You know, a, lo- a lot of the work that we're doing, you know, we hire the best, we hire professionals. Um, so funding that work, uh, a lot of the money goes either directly to the orphans and widows that we're assisting, the, uh, the, the refugees, and then the active work that we're uh, doing combating 
trafficking all across the globe. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to close sounding like a shill, but I tell you, your, your, your support to ATP um, has immediate results and effects and, and can't thank the people out there enough that are supporting us. Awesome. TNQ, you guys know what to do. Support these guys. Make sure you're following us on social media. We, we a lot of times share these guys' content. TeamNeverQuit.com social. You can find all of our social links. Make sure if you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you guys leave us a review on iTunes. That's tell us how we're doing. Helps us grow the show. Make sure to support our sponsors because they are help, who help us put these shows on every single week. We will see you guys next Wednesday. Later, guys. Thanks, bro. You the man. That was awesome. Thank you, guys.